welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, a CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, bringing you, I'm very excited that we have J.D. Whitlock with us, who is the CIO at Dayton Children's and has just a wealth of information that he can help as we talk about the CIO-CMIO interactions and those relationships, or just in general with the provider community. So, hey, J.D., welcome. Hi, Mark. How are you? Glad to be here. Uh, Thank you. If you would, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into being a CIO. Sure thing. So I started out in healthcare with a uh, MPH degree, and then I was in the Air Force Medical Service as a Medical Service Corps officer, which just means healthcare administrator and military speak. And so I had the opportunity and privilege of working in a global integrated delivery network doing population health management, because of course, military has been doing that for a long time, you know, before it was cool in the private sector. Then I, and I sort of halfway through that, I uh, wandered into IT because the military always wants you to be broadly experienced anyways. And I loved it and then just stuck around on the IT side. Uh, Then I retired from the Air Force and had the opportunity to work in another large integrated delivery network, Mercy Health, now Bon Secours Mercy Health, doing focused mostly on data work and analytics there. And then I had the opportunity to, for my first uh, CIO role, and so I jumped at that at Dayton Children's about two and a half years ago, and um, uh, still having a great time, uh, exciting, challenging, love my job. So you're relatively new to the CIO role there at Children's. What attracted you to that position? Well, the main thing was that it, it, it just at the opportunity of my first CIO role, and it's, it was just a good timing, just worked out well. I love the challenge of the strategy aspect of it. I love working closely with providers. There's pros and cons to to large and small organizations. We're on the small end of Epic customers, which presents challenges in trying to keep up with everybody else at larger Epic customers. However, it also permits a lot more interactions with individual providers in meetings where we're talking about very tactical things that I would not necessarily be doing at a larger organization. So that's fun. Tell us a little bit about what your organization looks like in terms of what is in IT, what reports up to the CIO, particularly around the clinical informatics part that my colleagues are going to be interested to know about. Sure. So clinical informatics does not report up to the CIO at Dayton Children's. So we, our clinical informatics department is run by a uh, director who is a nurse with four nurses under her. And then the director of clinical informatics reports to our CMIO who reports to our CMO. So I've seen different organizations do that very differently. Of course, when I was at Mercy, the CMIO reported to the CIO. So that obviously changes a lot of the relationships. And obviously, sometimes there's politics involved in that, and you just have to figure out what's right for your organization and work through that appropriately. So I can talk a little bit more about our clinical informatics setup, if you want to go into that. Yeah, this is I mean, that's a perfect setup for what I really wanted to get at is sometimes the CMIO role can report up into different 
ways, like you said. And that does produce some interesting tensions or challenges or even excitement at times. And so that's what I hope to get at today. From the CIO standpoint, what's it like working with a CMIO that doesn't report to you? And how's that relationship uh, nurtured and supported and grown? And tell us a little bit about that relationship. Yeah, sure thing. So our CMIO doctor is a pediatric nephrologist who is only part-time CMIO. However, he is certified in informatics, so he knows what he's doing. And so we work together very well. We collaborate closely on all of our IT governance activities. We have our, our governance structures, probably worth going into that a little bit. We have a monthly meetings that for both overall IT governance with our executive team, where we talk about pretty much anything, anybody wants, any new software anybody wants to buy, it's got to go through, got go through there, all our strategy, hot topics today, obviously interoperable, all the interoperability regs that are just come out, our enterprise imaging plan, I'm trying to th- thinking through our agenda for our last meeting, our epic gold stars and what we want to tackle there. And then at children committees to that committee, we have monthly committees, one focusing on ambulatory, one focusing on, on inpatient, one focusing on periop. Those are run by our director of clinical informatics. And then Dr. Omoloja is always at all of those meetings too, as, as am I. That's a, as you would expect, that's where we dive into more tactical issues in those particular clinical areas. So a lot of the big important decisions that get made, what is our EPIC team focused on for the next month? What are they, all the incoming things that we need to prioritize or deprioritize because something else is important? And that there's clinical representation from each of our specialty areas. And we're doing service lines like pretty much everybody else is. We were a little bit late to the service line party, but we're, we're doing it now. And so every service line clinic is represented uh, in all of these governance groups. So uh, Dr. Omoloja and I are, we have a weekly touch base meetings to talk about the agendas for all of these different committees. And we do a combination as we should be doing. We look at it, suggestions from clinicians at Dayton Children's about what we need to do differently with our, with Epic Build and, and Clinical Informatics Plan, and also what is happening strategically that it's uh, more an our job, I consider it my job to look strategically at the industry and figure it out what's going on. And particularly as it relates to all the interoperability regs, that's not something that I expect that our practicing physicians are caring a whole lot about. Well, they're going to care about it. They have to care about it, obviously, because there's new regulation, but it's not like they're sitting on webinars listening to how you're going to be compliant with. So we're not doing information blocking. And so we hopefully bring a good combination of the the bottom-up tactical suggestions and the top-down strategy requirements and put that all in the meat grinder of our uh, of our governance process and then and hopefully optimize our and make the best use of our limited resources yeah I know that document the it was over 800 pages on information blocking and so i'm glad there are others who are digesting that into its nitty-gritty form um uh, certainly happy to glance at the highlights but that's good bedtime reading Uh, so uh, tell us a little bit more about 
the analysts, you have Epic analysts, obviously, do they report to the clinical analysts like orders team or Willow? Do they report to the informatics team, to the CMIO, or are they in the CIO's shop? Yes, that's all within IT. That all reports to me. So I have a team of uh, about 110, and that's roughly uh, split 50-50 between our Epic build team and then everything else IT that you normally think of, infrastructure and operations um, and uh, cybersecurity. I have a small ERP team. We're on Workday for ERP, Hmm. a small PMO. And so, of course, at at smaller Epic customers, that's a larger percentage of the overall IT team, because you just to keep the lights on with Epic, you just need a certain size team, of course. And when I was at Mercy, that was a, the IT, total IT team was six times as big. It was a different ratio. It was more like two to one more IT than Epic team, because the larger you get, you don't need to do everything twice. You can have one larger build team, but percentage wise, it's a smaller percentage of the IT team, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I'm in the same boat. I'm in a community hospital with Epic. We're now two hospitals and three, 400 beds. So yeah, the CFO is always going, why is IT so big? Why do we have so many of these analysts? And uh, it's because that's a beast that needs feeding constantly. Um, So that brings up an interesting dynamic though. So you've got the analysts and the budget, so to speak, lives in IT. But you've got those who have interests, the providers and nurses, who want things done. And so there's prioritization that has to happen. And there's budgetary reviews and those things. Is it contentious? Is it easy? How does it work? Or is the governance process takes care of it all and it's good in there? Well, I don't want to go so far as to say it's easy. I will say that I think based on the personalities involved at Dayton Children's. Now keep in mind, we're a medium-sized city in the Midwest. And so people are generally nice. <laughs> and you've got and pediatricians so, and they're and generally nice. Pediatricians. I, <laughs> you are at a total <laughs> advantage here. <laughs> exactly. Really. That, that is true. And so I will say that it typically works, meaning that our clinicians who are the representatives in our clinical governance groups understand when they might not be able to get everything they want because we have to do something else first that's more important and we've explained why that other thing is more important. We not a lot of hissy fits about that kind of a thing. And our executive team understands that we can't always do everything, every new bright shiny object that, that they might want because at our size, we just can't afford that. And as with all Epic customers, when somebody brings a new bright, shiny object and you say, yeah, but Epic can do 85% of that. And on the next version, we'll do 90% of it. And so we just have to live with that. Then everybody has to live with that. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's because of the team we've put together and the governance structure we put together, it pretty much works most of the time. I heard something that you said that I think also helps you, and that's transparency. You said that you talk about what you can do, what you can't do. It's all out there on the table, it sounds like to me. Do people understand the backlog? Is that something that you put out there and say, all right, you guys pick. What do you want to do? Here's the menu. Pick from it. Sure. I think a key point to making governance work 
And so I've seen this now in a couple of organizations. Now, in some of my previous job at, at a much larger organization, however, I was not the CIO, so I was just focused on the analytics side. Same idea, though. You get things coming in. You have to, for the small things that take an hour or two, you don't put them through the meat grinder because it's dumb to talk about things longer than it would take to just do them. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> however... You don't assume that just because somebody asked for something, it is a smart thing to do, even if you had unlimited time to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So part of the governance process is, I've seen this happen many times, somebody asked for something, it's the epic analysts that would be doing the build that are sometimes nurses. We actually have a lot of nurses on our epic build team, I have a lot of Nurses who are formerly clinical nurses at Dayton Children's. So it's great that they have expertise in what they are building for. However, if a physician asks for something, that nurse may not have the perspective they need, the clinical perspective that they need to say, maybe that's not the best idea. But when you get other doctors in the room and you say, this is the proposal, we're going to add something here, and you have to document something else in your workflow so that this doctor can do something that they want to do. And the other doctors say, mm, no, we don't want to do that. And here, and here's why. But you're right. If it's, it's all got to be transparent. And when people see that, then they generally, they're maybe, maybe not, they're not okay with it, but they can live with it. So you have to have transparency. You have, you have to be getting the right people in the room. So, you, so your organization is represented. And then you need to be talking about the right size of things. You can't tackle everything. And then you also have to make sure that we occasionally make decisions and we realize that. So um, for example, we also have a clinical decision support committee. Well, sometimes they want to do something that affects all of the clinical areas. We need to take those decisions to all the clinical areas. The bad news is that can slow things down. You say that should really go to our periop and inpatient committee too. Well, they don't meet till next month. So it, that slows that down. But uh, I think you, that, that's sort of a, I don't want to call it a necessary evil. It's not an evil thing. It's a, it's a good thing. You're, you uh-huh. have to have those conversations in order to focus on the right things. Do you have physician builders? We do. We have now, according to Epic, who decides how many Epic builders uh-huh. you should have, we do not pass muster there. So we're, for the gold star or the honor roll or whichever yeah. it is, yeah. So so actually, we are just about to, fingers crossed, get our first honor roll. In the past, we had not done some of our business continuity investments like we should have, uh, which was expensive, and we finally got around to doing that this year. So quite honestly, we hadn't paid a lot of attention to that previous. Now, as we picked our buckets of honor roll that we were going to tackle the one that had physician builders in there we did not do that one one because we have we have one currently certified physician builder he's an anesthesiologist he does do build he's very active in our governance group you're always going to have a few physicians and a large group of physicians that just like you know they're a geek at heart and they just love love doing that in addition to practicing medicine we have a couple other physicians. One that came from another facility, used to be a certified Epic builder, just let the certification lapse. 
they had another physician that went did the course but never had time to take the certification test so also mm-hmm. didn't mm-hmm. get certified so we've got a grand total of one and so there's no question about whether we would let that physician to build we welcome the bill that he wants to do obviously still going through our governance process so i wanted to get at how to cultivate that physician talent to become more engaged and to assist with the decisions that need to be made and give you the clinical perspective. Sounds like you've got that anesthesiologist, you've got a CMIO. Uh, How else are you cultivating and trying to promote those nurses or doctors to, to invest time in analytics and informatics? Sure thing. Well, so one answer to that is if you look at the membership of those governance committees, the clinical governance committees that I mentioned earlier, I mean, we go out and we find the physicians that we think would be good for that role. And typically there's some level of interest on, on their part. And so the, those would be the primary ones. And so I go to all those meetings that's one of the benefits of being in a smaller facility. If I was as a CIO at a larger system, I probably wouldn't be able to go to those meetings. Uh, but I go to those meetings and chat with those physicians, and we have good sidebar conversations that lead to other things, that lead to talks about what else should we be doing. And so I, I think I think there's just sort of a natural uh, attraction of the physicians that are interested in that to those committees. And likewise, those of us that are staffing those committees want to have physicians that are inter- that are at least interested in that, not, you know, grumpy, why do I have to use the EHR uh, physicians? Mm-hmm. Sure. Are you intentional in how you interact with the providers? Is it that you say, you know what, this particular doctor is really influential and so I know I want to build that relationship? Or is it just hallway conversations, who you bump into, a little bit random, but still works? Uh, sure. Like any organization, you have physicians that are more influential for whatever combination of, of reasons, whether they're the, the division chief for that service, whether they've just been around forever and everybody respects their opinion. And so, sure, there's a, there's always a certain amount of, of that. And uh, some of those physicians are on these committees I mentioned. Some of them may not be on the committees. And so... You learn the lay of the land. Some of that's a little bit of politics, not in a not in a bad way, just the mm-hmm. reality way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, are there nurses or doctors who are paid part time to be involved with informatics, or is this volunteer time? How does that work? The the way that works, and I probably should know a little bit more about the details of this. I'm, I, I may not. I think the way that works is. There's some admin time built into the compensation model, and then that just counts as their admin time. Okay. Okay. Is the governance process different for ambulatory than it is for inpatient? Do you make that division, or is it just one governance process and everything gets thrown in there? It is different. You have one IT governance that's over everything, mm-hmm. meaning everything IT, not just EPIC, not just clinical. Okay. Then on the clinical side, we've got one committee focused on ambulatory one committee focused on inpatient, one committee focused on periap, and then also a clinical decision support. We have actually then a few work groups below those, but I guess those four would be our primary committees that are really focused on Epic Build. That's interesting. 
Do you ever find the inpatient and the ambulatory teams bumping up against each other? Because Epic doesn't divide itself so well. There are, there's functionality, like when I go to place orders in ambulatory, well, guess what? The hospitals, when they're discharging someone, well, that's the ambulatory order mode they're using. And so the ED uses that too. And sometimes they bump <laughs> into each other and there's some arm wrestling goes on. How about you? Do you ever see that? Yes, absolutely. That's what I, I touched on that earlier with you're occasionally making a decision of one and you, and you realize, oh, we really need to get buy-in from the other committees on that particular decision, which can slow things, down, slow things down. What are you working on now that you're really excited about? Some things I'm excited about. Let's see. I'm excited that we were, we were one of the first 10 Epic customers to be contributing data to Cosmos. Oh, Awesome. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many of our listeners are are up on that or whether we should explain that for a minute. Probably should just touch on it because there's okay. some, there's some, not everyone's epic. I, sure. We don't know why, but there are some people out there still on Cerner. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. <laughs> so I don't know if Cerner has some equivalent or not, but uh, Epic has a new research database called Cosmos. And what they do is they take the limited data set, which means that the clinical data is de-identified for most all practical purposes, but not fully safe harbor de-identified, which makes data uh, useless for research. In other words, you still have a date on a lab test. Okay, And so they grab that data in, in a mostly transparent way to the Epic customer, because it just looks like a care everywhere transaction, puts that into a cloud-hosted uh, database where I think they're up to maybe 30 or 40 organizations so far that are contributing data. The goal is to get it up to 200 million patients. I don't know the exact number of patients that they're at now, something in the more like 20 or 30 million, I think. And what's really fabulous about that is that, oh, and the other thing is you will be able to do queries on that through a slicer dicer, through another, through a tool that Epic customers are already using. Mm-hmm. And so we do, we have an academic affiliation. We have we're associated with the Boonshoff School of Medicine here in Dayton. We have close ties with uh, Wright Patterson Air Force Base. We have a pediatric residency that's a joint military a civilian residency. That's a really great program. So we have people that want to do research, but if you look in our Epic database, you're not going to have the same number of patients as if you are at a much larger organization or if uh, looking at this Epic Cosmos database. So I was talking to one of our researchers recently who was doing some research on restless leg syndrome in kids and had an interesting research hypothesis. We looked in Slicer Dicer. We, we found some interesting data that sort of reinforced his hypothesis. And we were just now getting in, him into um, Cosmos, so we'd have access to a lot more data to uh, hopefully show the his hypothesis with a lot more with a much larger n. So I'm excited. I'm excited about that. Let's see other things. We are launching a enterprise imaging initiative. Like a lot of places, we have imaging all over the place. In some cases, images are not even stored that should be stored. In some cases, they are squirreled away in providers email archives, and they should be in a vendor neutral archive. And so we are starting that journey. We have to refresh our packs. So we'll be doing a, a vendor neutral archive at the same time, actually as a precursor to our uh, packs upgrade, and then doing and going across the organization. 
and figuring out where all the images are, where they should be, and then getting them into a vendor neutral archive with a viewer so that when, so our providers can go into Epic, open this viewer, and then see uh, chronologically all the images about that patient instead of having to go seven different places to find, you know, seven different uh, modalities of image. So that'd be a multi-year project. We're just yeah, kicking sure. off. I'm excited about that. When you go through acquisition, it's uh, there's no pack system that you don't end up owning at some point in time. And then none of them can can interface well. And it's that's an interesting project for sure. Cosmos, we're going live with Cosmos as well. Now that Epic is paying for it, I think we'll see a lot more people jumping on it. And I love the potential of that tool. I'm excited about it too. I think... The ability as a provider, I'm sitting there with a patient in front of me to be able to query and understand, okay, there are 50,000 patients who have your condition, who look like you, and this is the medicine that worked better than that medicine. That's got real potential. Now, I know we're not there yet, but that's where they're heading. And that's going to be exciting stuff that get to that more personalized medicine rather than just, yeah, there was a thousand people in a clinical trial, but you look absolutely like none of them, but this is all we have. So we'll take a guess and give you this pill at this dose. Eh, we could do better. Exactly. And, and yeah, so that's really exciting, which really goes beyond research. You're just using a lot of data to deliver some really innovative decision support within clinical workflow that the patient's not patients like me. It's a different website. I forget what Epic called that, but I know what you're talking about. That does uh-huh. look really powerful. That may be a little ways away from what I understand, but I think the real power is that when you look at other research databases, you, you tend to find two things. You find databases that are built just with administrative data, just with ADT type data, uh-huh. right? And so you can just only do so much with that, right? Alternately, you find really narrowly focused clinical data that a specialty society says we are going to do the registry for cystic fibrosis or whatever it is. And then you have an incredibly labor-intensive process to abstract the data that you need to get it into all these specialty registries. I don't know if you see that, but I see a lot of that. And so, yes, it enables some research, but it's really hard to get the data out. Mm-hmm. And it's just one little little slice of specialty research. And Cosmos has the potential to be to do because of the depth of the clinical data and because of the breadth of any question you could throw at it, I think it could be very powerful for research. JD has been fantastic. I, I want to respect your time and keep us to the half hour that we said we would. If people wanted to reach out to you on LinkedIn to ask any follow-up questions or just to reach out, is that okay to, to connect with you there? Absolutely. Yep. Awesome. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. This has been. I really wanted to get at that relationship between the CMIO, CIO, especially when it's not a direct reporting relationship and the dance that happens between the two. And it sounds like you guys really have it worked out well. So uh, once again, thanks for coming on. My pleasure, Mark. Thanks. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me your ideas to shows, guests you'd like to hear from, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.